Hello, my friends, and welcome back to another episode of The Informed Catholic. My name is Ned Jabbar. So we're going to be continuing on our Lenten meditation on the sadness of Christ by St. Thomas More. <clears throat> uh, this is going to be part 12 of that meditation, and this is going to be episode 24 of season two. So let's open up with a prayer, please. Glory be to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, the Confession. I confess to Almighty God, to Blessed Mary Ever-Virgin, to Blessed Michael the Archangel, to Blessed John the Baptist, to the Holy Apostle Peter and Paul, and to all the saints, that I have sinned exceedingly in thought, word, and deed, through my fault, through my fault, through my most grievous fault. Therefore I invoke Blessed Mary Ever-Virgin, to Blessed Michael the Archangel, to Blessed John the Baptist, to the Holy Apostles, Peter and Paul, and to all the saints, to pray to the Lord our God for me. May Almighty God have mercy upon us, forgive us all our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. Kiri Elision, Christe Elision, Kiri Elision. May the Almighty and merciful Lord grant us pardon, absolution, and remission for all our sins. Amen. Now we will ask our Blessed Mother, the Most Holy Virgin, Mary, to intercede for those of us who uh, might be suffering from any ailment, and especially from... Uh, this coronavirus, if we know any members of the family, uh, friends, or if you are yourself have been afflicted by this or any ailment. So let's um, ask for the intercession of Our Lady. Most Holy Virgin Mother of the Incarnate Word, treasure house of grace and refuge of us, wretched sinners with lively faith, we have recourse to your motherly love and ask of you the grace of ever doing God's will and yours. In your most holy hands we place our hands, and of you we, are, we ask health of body and soul. And as we have the same hope that you, our most loving mother, will hear us, we say to you with a lively faith, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. 
Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let us pray. Defend, we invoke you, O Lord, through the intercession of the Blessed Mary, ever-Virgin, your servant from all infirmity, and mercifully deemed to guard the prostrate, the prostrate in the sincerity of their hearts before you against the snares of the enemy. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Holy Mary, Queen of the Rosary, pray for us. St. Joseph, Guardian of the Holy Church, pray for us. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. And St. Michael the Archangel, pray for us. And we also ask for St. Thomas More to pray for us as we read his writings. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So, um, folks, um, this is a really a tough time, I know. A lot of people are very frightened and scared because of the events that's going on. And it is um, a historical time. Um, never, I don't think anyone could remember a time when the church ever closed like this, where the doors of the church, it seems to be uh, around the world. And it's a tough thing because the fact that a lot of people are deprived of the sacraments, um, people who may be sick um, could be dying, are deprived of the Holy Eucharist. And um, it's tough. I don't think there's any real answers. I was talking to a friend of mine, Henry, um, he goes, uh, he teaches actually RCIA at Holy Innocence in uh, Midtown Manhattan. They have the Latin Mass. And the priest there um, wanted to keep the doors open. But unfortunately, he walked in and uh, a lot of people weren't following the guidelines. Um, there was like 30 people. And I, I don't think Holy Innocence, I don't believe it's a very big church, but um, it's they were sitting close to each other. And of course, the guidelines were that keep some space, at least maybe four feet, six feet if it's possible. And there were like 30 people in there. And of course, um, 30 people could, uh, there's an obvious almost close to 90% chance of people passing an illness if they do have it. You don't have to show the signs of a coronavirus illness. You, um, you know, you could just pass it. And the priest, of course, closed the doors uh, because people just refused to follow the guidelines. And, of course, naturally, he's going to get a lot of... Uh, uh, grief for it, but it's understandable. 
I would love myself if I was in charge, if I was a bishop, I would love to keep the doors closed, uh, open. And people should pray in front of the Blessed Sacrament. But you can't blame people for going to the church and wanting to be in the presence of our Lord. It's a tough, tough thing. There's no easy answer. Um, I commend uh, the priest for wanting to do this. But at the same time, I do understand um, the precautions we have to take. Well, there's just no easy answer. I live in Brooklyn in the Diker Heights area, and we have a beautiful basilica, Regina Pachi, and it's a big basilica. You could fit in a lot of people. And naturally, it's understandable, you know, someone could have it. You touch the, the benches, it's made of wood. It can live on the surfaces for a long time, a number of hours, maybe even days. People, you know, pick up a missile, a paper missile. You want to flip through the pages. People have a habit of licking their thumb and flip through the pages. And it could last a number of hours on there and someone else could pick it up. And you know how kids are. Kids could ha have a better immune system and still... They could pass it on to someone who has older, it could affect you even at teenage years. And it affects the difference between this and the flu. It could affect your respiratory system, the lungs. And I know there are some people who are very pious and zealous and believe that we should have faith in God. Yes, we should but we should not put the Lord our God to the test. We have to use reason. This, yes, I do believe this is a punishment from God. The fact that the churches are closed nearly all over the world, we have to think about why our society kills the unborn. Our society is pushing for homosexuality and gay marriages and pedophilia. Our politicians covet their office like pagan idols and they call themselves Catholic and many people are practicing infidelity. Ancient Israel um, back sometime in the fourth or fifth, fifth century uh, BC before our Lord's birth had their temple destroyed because they were unfaithful to the Lord. They broke their commandments. They practiced pagan idol worship. There was sin, rampant sin. They started sacrificing their children to Baal and um, the days of Jeremiah, the temple was destroyed, burned down. That was the biggest catastrophe for the people of Israel. The biggest catastrophe. God took his presence away from the Jewish people. 
And they were taken away captives to a foreign land, to pagans. They were given a number of warnings by a number of different prophets. But they kept on sinning. And finally, their temple was destroyed, the house of worship. And God took away his presence from them, lifted his hand up and let a foreign nation come down and destroy them. And they were taken away for 70 years, 70 to 100 years into captivity. Part of that they spent in Babylon. The Psalms, uh, you can pick it up, Psalm 42, and I'm going to read it to you so you can get an idea of what happened. Psalm 42 is a post-exile uh, psalm. Actually, it's a post-temple psalm. It's um, in, in remembrance of the temple. Some of the psalms are written by David, but not all of them. This is a post-exile psalm. So uh, listen carefully and you will see the part where it talks about the temple. Psalm 42. As a deer lungs for flowing streams, so lungs my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? My tears have been my food day and night. While men say to me continually, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God. With glad shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazir, Deep calls to deep at the thunder of your cataracts. All your waves and your billows have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my body, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me continually, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my help and my God. That ends it there. But...
There's also part two to this psalm, and it's Psalm 43, which follows it. So listen carefully again. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From a deceitful and unjust men deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? O oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a leer, O God my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, and I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. Okay, so that ends it there. So the important thing to look for is here. In Psalm 42, it goes here. How these things I remember. It's actually verse 4, Psalm 42. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I went, past tense, with the throng and led them in procession to the house of God. With loud shouts and songs of thanksgiving, a multitude-keeping festival, why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for, for I shall again praise him, my Savior and my God. Future tense. And the point of this is that they lost it. They lost the temple and he pulled his presence away god can pull his hand away he can permit evil he doesn't he is not the cause of evil he can permit evil and the reason why is is because sometimes we keep asking for evil we enjoy sin we keep on sinning because we're selfish. We want our own ways. And that's the problem here. We keep asking for sin. And we live in a time where there's a lot of it. Our politicians, our leaders, our, our church leaders, our shepherds, are quiet about the evils going around. We're never promised. We never were promised good shepherds. It's up to the shepherd himself, up to the priest, up to the minister, if they want to be holy. And that is a big problem. Unfortunately, a lot of them see their office as nothing more but business. Um... It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's sad. Um, I was listening to Dr. Taylor Marshall and um, Alexander Duval. I might be pronouncing his last name un, not correctly. He's, he lives in Austria. He's the young man who cast the Pachimamas uh, off the, uh, the bridge uh, at the Vatican in front of Castle San Angelo. And 
Um, it's sad, unfortunately. It is sad because he talked about how one bishop um, is watching his priests carefully that they don't go out and administer the sacraments to the people. It's a troublesome time. It's a sad time. Um, what we have to do, we have to realize that God wants us to value the sacraments. And in order for us to value the sacraments and value the graces he gives us, we have to be serious about our lives being holy. Each one of us have to really look into ourselves. We take the sacraments for granted. We take the church for granted. We take our Lord for granted. It's a tough time we live in. It's, you know, but being holy, you have to be true to God. You know, our Lord said that in order, you know, it's in the, it's in the Gospels, and we should be familiar with his words. You know, the, you know he, the road to heaven is straight and narrow and very difficult to get there. But the road to hell is wide open and many get there. You know, and, you know, many people, you know, especially the, the passage where the where the seeds are sown, you know, we, we have that in the Gospels, but we can read it another time because we're going to have to start with the meditations on Thomas More. But I wanted to first be the first part to talk about the current events that we're going through. It's not easy. It's not easy. It's hard. We got the Lent we deserve. So I'll end it this part, and the other half will start with the passage on the sadness of Christ. So <clears throat> I'm going to read uh, what Thomas More outlined from the Gospels. Um, he's basically looking into Matthew 26, verse 45 to 46, and then the Gospel of Mark 14 chapter 14, verse 41 to 42. Uh, since I read those Gospels over and over again in past episodes, um, we'll just focus on his writing here. So I'll read you what he outlined from the Gospels. And when he had risen from prayer and came to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sadness. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Sleep on now and take your rest. That is enough. Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Behold, the hour is coming when the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us go. Behold, the one who will betray me is near at hand. Once more, Matthew 26 verse 45 to 46, and Mark's, Mark 14, verse 41 to 42. I'll read the passage one more time. And when he had arisen from prayer and came to his disciples, he found them sleeping for sadness. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? 
Sleep on now and take your rest. That is enough. Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Behold, the hour is coming when the Son of Man will be betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us go. Behold, the one who will betray me is near at hand. So this is now Thomas More's own words. See now when Christ came back to his apostles for the third time. There they are buried in sleep. Though he commanded them to bear up with him and to stay awake and pray because of the impending danger. But Judas, the traitor, at the same time was so wide awake and intent on betraying the Lord that the very idea of sleep never entered his mind. Does not this contrast between the traitor and the apostles present to us a clear and sharp mirror image, as it were, a sad and terrible view of what has happened through the ages from those times even to our own? Why do not bishops contemplate in this scene their own um, some somnolence? It's a strange word here I'm not familiar with. But I guess their own, uh, I guess, insolence, really. I guess that's what he's saying. Since they have succeeded in the place of the apostles, would that they would reproduce their virtues just as eagerly as they embrace their authority and as faithfully as they display their sloth and sleepiness. For many are sleepy and apathetic in sowing virtues among the people and maintaining the truth, while the enemies of Christ, in order to sow vices and uproot the faith, that is, in so far as they can, to seize Christ and cruelly crucify him once again, are wide awake, so much wiser as Christ says, are the sons of darkness in their generation than the sons of light. But although this comparison of the sleeping apostles applies very well to those bishops who sleep, while virtue and faith are placed in jeopardy, still it does not apply to all such perilates of clerics at all points, for some of them, alas, far more than I could wish, do not drift into sleep through sadness and grief as the apostles did. Rather, they are numbered and buried in destructive desires that is drunk with the new wine of the devil, the flesh and the world. They sleep like pigs sprawling in the mire. We'll stop there. Very interesting. Um... Uh, I, it's not much different, is it? Quite fascinating. Amazing, isn't it? Thomas More wrote this while he was in the Tower of London. And at the time, all the bishops fell like a row of dice except for one, John Fisher. They all signed the document put their seals on it, and gave the church over to Henry VIII. Uh, just today, um, I was looking at Church Militant website, and they're going to rededicate the country, the, the nation of England, 
uh, to Our Lady Walsingham. And England used to be called the Dowry of Mary. A dowry is what a bride uh, in the past used to bring. Um, in the West, there was a tradition where a bride, when she gets married, she will bring an inheritance to her marriage, um, money. And um, so England was called the Dowry of Mary. She was the bridal. Uh, England was the inheritance, the dowry, the inheritance that Mary can bring to the Trinity, to God. And they're going to they're going to do a rededication. And um, I think the Queen, I believe the Queen is agreeable to it. This uh, tradition of of England being the dowry consecrated as the dowry of Mary goes back to uh, King Richard II, where he dedicated England and it was a strong Marian devotion. If you remember the story, the legend of Robin Hood and Maid Marian, the name Marian, uh, which is my mom's name, by the way, is means uh, devotion to Mary, piety towards Mary. It's a beautiful name. And that's what the name means, a devotions to Mary. And uh, that's, uh, it was a big wide thing. Our Lady Walsingham was um, a revelation apparition that appeared to a widowed noblewoman back in England. I don't know the full history of it, but I know a little bit from the article and I read this from other articles. And it was a vision where she was told to build a house similar to that of the house in Nazareth because people, you know, couldn't go on their pilgrimages to the Holy Land because when you do that, uh, remember the place was under the the uh, the control of the of Islam, and people when they went on pilgrimages to the Holy Land, they usually it was a uh, it was you go and you're gonna die. I mean, you may die along the way, you may die when you get there, you may die on your way back, and this was um, a way sort of like people can do a mini, um, I guess you could say, pilgrimage in their own country. People would um, there was called the parish of slippers people would leave all their slippers their their shoes in one parish and then they would walk on foot to walsingham and it will be a long road a procession of people there's actually um paintings or uh illustrations or woodcuts showing that and in this day back in the 1890s it started again when Catholicism was being lifted up and it was usually because of the popularity of Catholicism was done because John Henry Newman, who was the big convert, um, he was a convert from the Church of England and now he's a saint in the Catholic Church and he um, sort of became the great advocate for Catholics. And it was also people like um, G.K. Chesterton, you know, and, you know, this was, uh, piety and love and devotion that was returning. Um, now going back to what we have just read, 
by Thomas More's meditations. Think about it. He wrote this in the tower. There's um, an interesting thing that Thomas More said. Supposedly, a bishop came to see him in his home at Chelsea. Thomas More just gave up his office as chancellor. Um, you know, so he was a basically second man in power. And he gave his office back to the king and agreed to send uh, to sort of quietly go out of public, um, leave the public spotlight. A bishop came over uh, visiting him and the bishop wanted to know. Basically, he was trying to get Thomas More to get in line with everybody, to agree to support the king in his divorce, to agree to support the king in his making himself head of the Church of England, and just fall in line. And Thomas More gave an interesting little kind of like, uh, basically he was saying no, but in a very philosophical way. He talked about how in ancient Rome, um, basically interrogation of a young woman and the Romans had a superstition of killing prostitute. I mean, virgins, excuse me, killing a virgin. And the, this was done during the time of Tiberius because of, uh, people who were traitors and he, they wanted to interrogate. They wanted the young woman to reveal who the traitors were and in order to um, get it out of her and then execute her, the Romans, of course, being superstitious at killing virgins because they thought it was bad luck, Thomas More said that the answer was, in, uh, first, you must deflower her in order to devour her very sinister thing and he was basically saying to the bishop and he told him again let me make it clear to you you will never deflower but you may devour me in other words he will not commit a mortal sin he will not agree to this where he could endanger his salvation And more, um, there was an interesting other example where he was talking to Wolsey. Wolsey was once Cardinal Wolsey, a very ambitious man, a uh, archbishop, but also a man who didn't practice virtue of his office. Wolsey was a man who loved his luxuries, loved his comforts. He had a um, a secret mistress and father children, a cardinal, a prince of the church, who basically did not really believe in uh, in his office. And Wolsey wanted more to support the divorce uh, to the divorce Henry VIII to divorce uh, Catherine of Aragon and help the king get Anne Boleyn 
and Moore refused to agree to it. And he told Moore, he said his answer to Moore was, well, it's too late. You already have your hand dirty. You Once you had your hand in the dye, you're stained. And Moore taking a bucket of water and said, well, I didn't stain my hands. Look, this is my element. He put his hands in the bucket of water and lifted it up and said, you see, my element is the heavenly element. He goes, my hands don't look stained to you. He was a devout, he was a man who believed he was devout. He knew his faith. He was um, in charge of his household. He made sure everyone understood the faith. He educated his children. He even taught his daughters how to read and write. He understood what his responsibilities were. He was father to his children. He was a minister to his children. He made sure his children understood the faith. Moore never lost faith in the church. He knew that the church was Christ, and he understood the church is Christ. And he understood that there were uh, weeds growing with the harvest. And he understood that this is this is the way it's going to be. He understood the gospel. He was not going to go in line with Protestantism. In many ways, he married he married Luther. Luther was a lawyer. Thomas More was a lawyer. Both men were lawyers. Both men were educated. But unlike Luther, More did not give up on the church. He didn't give up. He didn't run away or get scandalized by sinners. Sin is something, and sinful clergy is something that will always be with us. Moore understood that the bishops, some of them, were men who had too much comfort. Some of them didn't even believe. Some of them were just like, you ever look at the image of elephants? This is how I picture some people. You look at elephants or certain cattle in Africa, those photos, and you see birds on their back. And the birds are picking the, um, the you know, the, the bugs off the uh, the elephant's back or it could be seeds that landed on their back but they would pick the uh, the fleas or the, the bugs off the elephant's back or off the cattle's back in many ways that is probably what some of these sinful bishops are they're, they're birds on the church's back uh, picking their own personal, uh, you know, needs, uh, food. They're in the church for food. They're in the church for comfort. They're in the church because they hate Christ maybe. And they want to destroy him. They don't, some of them don't even know why they went into priesthood. Some of them because to hide their sins. This is the way, this is the way it is. And we, in order to get them out, we have to pray more. The truth is we're never going to be, uh, free people like that they're going to be there until the end of time for us is that we have to strive to be saints we have to strive to be holy 
So I'm going to end it here and we'll continue again. We're moving a little faster in our meditations because we're getting, we're getting close to Easter and I would like to uh, finish this so at least we can complete our journey with Christ. So we're going to end it with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory now and forever. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. God bless, and I'll get back to you soon.